Joining us here today online, go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button, or text to give at 303-625-9434. Enter the amount of your gift, press send, and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also mail your gift to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Glad you're online with us. Grab your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to get into the study today. It's We're going to have a great time. We're going to be celebrating educators today. God is doing great things here at Summit Church. Hope you can join us in person one of these Sundays. Come join us. Summit Church. I know how it goes. We start fellowshipping and we just go on and on. It's like heaven. It's going to go on and on and on forever. But we do have to get to the word today. And I have a very special guest today. I want to introduce Dr. Jim Calhoun from Castle Rock Christian Academy. I met Dr. Jim years ago when we were still meeting at the high school. Uh, he was the principal of Castleview High School. And, uh, and then a few years ago, made a shift and transition in his career, retired from the district and, I guess, became the principal of Castle Rock Christian Academy and took over the, the school as it was kind of rebranding and reforming itself. Um, and it started out with just a handful of kids and now there's, we're well over 100, almost 100 students. And I have a feeling with what's going on with the education system in our country. Hey, can you bring back my volume levels? Just feed them back a little bit. You'll find it, Kim. She's, she's been running sound for me since the 80s, so she can figure it out. Um, so the enrollment's great. Dr. Callum, why don't you come up and share a little bit about your vision for Castle Rock Christian Academy. We wanna uh, just bless you. And yes, let's hear it for him, everybody. Give him a warm summer welcome. Thank you, Pastor Wayne, and thank you. Uh, I'm just really excited to be here, and I know a few people, and um, and, that, and this is awesome that you guys are out here in your own church instead of high school. Incredible, incredible. Wayne said this morning, beats hauling around the trailer and getting all that stuff out, and um, and I used to see that. I, every once in a while, I'd go to church Sunday mornings at the school, and uh, at, when I was at Castleview, and you guys would be in there worship, I'd stick my head in the door and, and watch a little bit. So thanks, Wayne, for for uh, giving me the opportunity to come worship with you this morning. Uh, you talked about vision, and I just want to say a little bit that the vision for the school is to, to build a community school supported by local churches, local businesses, local government, local community members. Um, right now we have 11 churches and their lead pastors are serving on our pastoral board. So the local church thing is starting to galvanize and we want to get more churches involved. And, local businesses around that are helping us like supporting the golf tournament that we have tomorrow and and the school's growing so community members are coming and joining and we've got a few christians on our town council and uh you know they're blessing us with their prayers and that sort of thing and maybe down the road they might help us find a piece of property that's a big piece of property where we can build a school and the idea is that we're going to have a k-12 through school supporting the castle rock community our mission, though, really illustrates why we're here and our purpose, and that's to partner with Christian families so that we can provide a Christ-centered learning environment that equips students to become transformational servant leaders. Now, we really think in this day and age, we have so many people that are in leadership positions making wrong decisions, not the right decisions, because they're not based in the truth. As you talked about, Tim, as you held the Bible up so firmly with us this morning. And we want leaders in our community that have been trained up as God would have us train them. And we know it's a responsibility of the family to do that. 
the parents to train the next generation and that generation then trains the next generation. But the school wants to partner with families and churches to make sure that our students, as they graduate from high, high school, as they go from, from that kindergarten age all the way through high school and, and maybe even go to, to college, that they're equipped um, to know who God is and who they are in, in Christ, um, to have that foundational knowledge uh, of, of how to defend their faith. So when they get into situations when they're asked about what your gender is, they can tell you what their gender is, right? Um, they don't, they don't um, waver in that. And they can also just answer lots of different questions that, that, that come up in this day and age. You know, evil is trying to make inroads all the time and they're being successful evil is and and we we got to fight against it so we want kids that can defend their faith can stand solid and firm in what they believe amen. all right thank you for the amens wayne thanks for the opportunity to talk stay here for a second okay. we want to we want to just play. yes let's hear it for dr All right, so we, we did a backpack drive. We gave 10 backpacks to Sedalia Elementary this week. Everybody, thank you so much for contributing to that. I, we got a phone call from a mom who needs some backpacks and a, and a couple moms, actually. So we're going to hold back four of them. But the other 10 we're going to give to you. All right. And all the overflow, because a lot of you, had, we had more than 24 of everything to stick in the bag. So all those extra school supplies are going to go to Castle Rock Christian Academy. And many of you gave over and above what we did in the backpack. So we're also going to give you a check for that uh, as well. God bless you. Thank you and so much. Why don't you, some of you, some of you men of God, Al and Bruce and Tim, why don't you guys, any of you guys want to come up, Ron, why don't you come up and let's just lay our hands on, on Dr. Calhoun. And Steve, why don't you come too? We're going to lay our hands on you and pray a blessing over you. Meredith, you're an educator. Come, you need to be in the middle of this too. Here the Bible has a lot to say about the laying on of hands. And commissioning you for the Lord's work because what you're doing is ministry every single day. It's just as important as a pastor's work in a church. In fact, maybe it's more impactful for students because you see them for hours and hours every single day. So Lord, we anoint our sister and brothers here today in the name of Jesus, thanking you that your Holy Spirit can quicken their mind and give them wisdom when they don't know what to do. You can guide them. You can open doors for them that no man can shut. We thank you, God, that you can give them wisdom from heaven. We know they have knowledge. We know they've studied books. But, Lord, help them to have wisdom to apply the knowledge that they may apply themselves to your wisdom, not the world's wisdom, but the kingdom wisdom that, that they desire. So bless them this year, Lord. Make their way successful. Every student they come in contact with, every parent they come in contact with, Lord, the finances that they need to keep the ministry going, I pray that there would be no lack that they would be supplied with all that they need for life and godliness. We thank you for Castle Rock Christian Academy. We bless them. We bless Meredith's work at her school too. And Father, for every student, we bless Johnny and every other student that's a part of this church. We thank you, God, for your hand and for your favor this school year. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Let's give a hand for these educators one more time, everybody. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Of love you. Thank you so much. Very good. Well, I have a message. Uh, no surprise, right? We've been studying through the New Testament five chapters at a time. We've gotten ourselves up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been going from Matthew to Revelation throughout the 2021. So January to December, five chapters at a time per Sunday. We divided the New Testament so that we can get through the Bible, the entire New Testament, in one year. And so we have been, anybody remember what the title of my message was last week? I know it's hard. I have a visual every week. The Four of Hearts. Very good. Good job. I pulled out the Four of Hearts and we talked about how God has four different hearts for us to try to have his heart. And the last heart, of course, was the heart of adventure. You know, sometimes Christianity is an adventure. It's not always the adventure you want. You know, you might get stoned or whipped or lashed or kicked out of town. That's not fun, right? But at the same time, it's still an adventure. You got a story to tell. Kim and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. So it was great. 
And I'll tell him myself, I'll tell him myself. We were so into the music and hanging out yesterday, coming down from the mountain. We got down C-470 to around Broadway, and suddenly the car went cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. And we ran out of gas. We were so into the conversation and each other and the music and the anniversary. Forgot to gas up the car coming back from Summer County. And so there I was walking over to the Shell station, fill up the gas can, walk back to the car, call AAA, gotta get a drunk jump start. Finally we got home, and I go, isn't that how it is? You know, life's an adventure. 30 years of marriage. There's ups and downs. Sometimes you eat at a fancy restaurant, sometimes you run out of gas on the side of the freeway. You just never know. Like, like Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. But it's never, life with me, I told her over, over Red Robin afterwards, life with me is never boring. You never know what you're gonna get with me. And so anyways, all of us go through ups and downs. Educators go through ups and downs. Dr. Calhoun, I think about my wife's first job as a school teacher in West Minneapolis inner city school, really tough class. In fact, the three teachers they had before her all quit within a week. They were, it was the kind of class they couldn't keep a teacher in, and as soon as the substitute heard which class that they were, had to go into, they would say no, they would turn down the opportunity. It was a teacherless class. You ever had any, other, any classes like that? <laughs> but pretty bad, right? Inner city school. But she, she came in with a stubborn love, and she said, you can't kick me out. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you throw things at, at me, if you kick and scream at me, if you cuss me out, if, if, if whatever, whatever you did to get rid of the other teachers, I'm not leaving. And she just outloved them. She outstubborned them. She, she brought order to the classroom. She said, if you want to talk, you raise your hand. If you make a mess, you clean it up. You treat me and you treat each other with dignity and respect. Amen, somebody. She laid down the law in that little West Minneapolis class. And she, they loved her for it. Of course, they, they hated her for the first week because they couldn't get away with murder like they were with the other teachers. But then they realized that why is she sticking around? After we've been little hellions to her for the last three weeks, she still won't leave. Oh, I think she loves us. And the whole thing turned around, huh, Kim? The whole thing turned around. You, sometimes God puts you in a hard place because he knows you're the only one that can handle it. You're the only one that would put up with it. You're the only one just stubborn enough to keep going. Amen. I love it. And so Paul was one of those kind of stubborn people. He had the heart of God. He had the heart for adventure. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. And so that's where we pick up here in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. I titled this message today, Graduating to the Higher School of Faith. I have a diploma here, a degree. Graduating to the Higher School of Faith. I thought, what a great grid for us to be thinking about this passage from the, the idea of faith being a school. Sometimes it's a school of hard knocks. And we learn something new every day, hopefully, for teachable. And I wanted to give you two definitions. What, what do you call this when a, a grad gets one of these pieces of paper? It's a diploma. What does a diploma represent? A degree, right? It represents something's been conferred upon you. So universities and institutions, schools, confer degrees. Academic degree is a qualification awarded to a student upon successful completion of a course of study of higher education, usually at a college or university. There's another word that sounds a lot like degree, but a king gives it instead of a university. Not degree, but a decree. Decree. There's a degree, and then there's a decree. They're related, actually, in the original Latin. A decree is... A rule of law usually issued by a head of state according to a certain procedure. It has the force of law. The particular term is used for this concept may vary from country to country. The executive orders made by the president of the United States, for example, are decrees. A, 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 a president can just sign an order and not have to pass it through Congress or Senate. And it'll stand as long as that president is still president. But the next president can come and squash that and make a new decree. 
They can make a new proclamation, make a new presidential order, right? And haven't we seen a ton of those in the last 20 years? More than any other time in American history, right? And how many of the God is not a university? Knowing God is not just an intellectual pursuit. Even though you might go to Bible college, you might go to seminary, you might have knowledge about the Bible and knowledge about theology, you know, knowing God is not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the spirit. It's a matter of the soul. Wisdom comes from applying the knowledge that you have, and that is soulish in nature. And the king makes decrees. And you cannot break a decree that the king has already decreed. And you know that Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. You don't break God's law. You break yourself against God's law. Because God's law is unbreakable. I'll say that again for those of you who might be a little slow, right? You don't break God's law. You break yourself against God's law. Because his law is eternal. It's unbreakable. When he makes a decree, that's the way it is, whether you like it or not. He doesn't give suggestions. He makes commands. It's not the Ten Suggestions. It's the Ten Commandments. He said, hey, I've got a good suggestion for you. You should probably love each other. You should probably love God. No, no. He said, a new command I give you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, seconds like it, love one another just as much as you love yourself. That's a new decree. That's a new command. It's a new way of looking at our relationship with God. And this grid of decrees is what I'm going to take you through with these elements that, that the Apostle Paul speaks of in the time that we have remaining. I'm going to give you the highlights here. Paul gives a vision of the thorn in the flesh. How many of you have ever had... A sickness that wouldn't go away. How many of you had a weakness that you just couldn't fix? Paul had that. Many theologians believe that he might have been going blind. Because in one letter he says, look with what big letters I write with. He's talking about like, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm going further and further blind. Many people think there was blindness. They're not sure exactly. Some think maybe he was crippled or he had some other uh, malady. But we don't know exactly what it is. I think God allows it to be a mystery. So that we can all relate to the Apostle Paul. We go, well, maybe it was my malady. Maybe it was my weakness. You know, we could, we could all relate to it. But he says, he's speaking of this, this thorn in the flesh that he has in verse, verse 8 of chapter 12. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, and if, if you have a, a red letter Bible, these words are in red. Jesus speaking to Paul. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. See, God doesn't need you to be strong. He's already strong. <laughs> he needs you to acknowledge your weakness and let his strength be at work through you. So here's what he says. Now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, that's, a, that's like a dichotomy. That's like a, a, a paradox, right? How is, that, how is it true that somehow when I'm weak, I'm strong? Because in my weakness, I have to lean on God. I have no other option. I have to. Lord, it's either that or die, right? It's either that or sit in my suffering. You can do that. It's an option, I guess, right? But God says, turn to me and live. You have the choice today. Choose life. <laughs> Come my way. Find your strength in me. And so that's my first decree. Decree number one from what Paul says. God will turn weakness into strength. If you'll trust in him. If you'll surrender to him. He decrees it. It's a promise. His strength it's found in weakness. In your, acknowledge your weakness. Turn to him in your weakness. And you'll find a supernatural strength. Well, verse 19, he says, he's speaking about their qualifications as, as apostles and people teaching in the church. He says, perhaps you think that we're saying these things to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants and with God as our witness. Everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. For I'm afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. 
I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence, and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. Paul says, I don't want to confront you, but as a servant of Christ, I have to. I got to tell you, you're messing up in this way. You got to stop. You got to turn around. What you're doing is wrong. Turn to God in your weakness and let, let your, your weakness be turned into his strength. It's not okay just to stay in your sin once you acknowledge it's a sin. Once it's been pointed out, once God reveals it to you by his word and by his Holy Spirit. So God will turn your weakness into strength if you let him. That's a great promise. But the decree only works if you claim it. <laughs> it only works if you work it. Amen? Well, chapter 13, Paul finishes, finally, we finished 2 Corinthians. He finishes his, his final advice to the church. Verse 7, I want to highlight. He says, if we pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope that when we arrive, uh, you do the right thing before we come. Even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority, for we cannot oppose the truth. We must always stand for the truth. We are glad to seem weak if it, may, if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. The second decree here from chapter 13 is this. Submit to correction and mature or grow. See, when you submit to correction, you can't help but grow. But if I get corrected, but I go, I don't like that. How dare you tell me that? You're not going to grow. You're not going to grow up. You're not going to mature. Baby Christians stay baby Christians because they refuse correction. They go, I don't like that. I can't believe the pastor said that. And it really offends me that the Bible says that, that his interpretation, no, 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 no. Much of the Bible is so plain, a child can understand it. If you refuse the correction of scripture, that's on you. And there are plenty of baby Christians that have been in the church for decades because they refuse to grow up. We have to grow. How do we grow? How do we mature? We submit to correction. We submit and go, I was wrong. Lord, please forgive me. God, in my weakness, help me to turn to you. Next time, do the right thing. Amen. And because his mercies are new every morning, I get a new shot at it every 24 hours. Every day, I get another chance to either obey or disobey. To ignore his correction or to receive it, take it unto myself, learn, grow, mature, become the person that God wants me to be. Amen. I know it. in many ways it sounds complicated, but it isn't complicated. And any of you parents know that once your child really becomes obedient, they're a pleasure to parent, <laughs> right? But we have, the, we have the terrible twos for a reason. Why is that? Because two-year-olds are selfish. Two-year-olds, what they want, they want it right now, right? They have to be corrected, right? It's only by receiving correction that they grow. We have to grow up as Christians in the same way. Well, this brings us to Galatians. What is Galatians about? Well, this is a, another book that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, which is a, another Greek city. He speaks about false teachers. Again, there were many false teachers going throughout the early church at this time. And they were telling that, that many of them had to keep the Old Testament covenants. They had to live according to Judaism. And for, in fact, in order to be a real Christian, you had to become Jewish first. You had to convert to Judaism, and then you could become a Christian. And there are some denominations that have something very similar to that these days. Like you have to keep certain holy days, you have to keep kosher dietary laws, you have to celebrate certain festivals, you got to blow, blow the shofar at certain, on certain days of the year, come on, right? That you're not really a Christian unless you keep the Jewish, no, 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 no. We're grateful for the Old Testament, but God came for all people. He didn't just come for the Jewish people, he came for all people, all the nations. He said to Abraham, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, not just the Jews. All people, all nations. And so Galatians is written to these Gentiles and the Apostle Paul writing again. When did it happen? He wrote this book in about AD 50. 
And where does it fit in this collection of, of letters? He's, it's written fairly early in Paul's ministry, not long after he preached in Galatia. And the breakdown of the book is as follows. Chapter 1 and 2, he talks about his personal testimony, how he came to Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, he argues the issues of law versus grace. Chapters 5 and 6, he talks about Christian freedom under grace. And the key concepts that we see, and it's a, it's a shorter letter, uh, we'll get through it next week. It, says, it talks about grace, talk about law, the promise, son versus slave, the spirit, and freedom. And you can read this book in about 15 minutes, church. So I challenge you, this week, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, just read through the book of Galatians. Take about 15 minutes. And a lot of what you read in Galatians is going to be about truth, Holy Spirit, walking with God, walking in Christ. And, and here's a couple of verses worth memorizing. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, for Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a great verse. Yeah, great one to memorize. Another good one to memorize would be Galatians 3, 27 and 28. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. So we get to Galatians chapter 1. Decree number 3. Decree number 3. God's approval supersedes mankind's approval. God's approval is more important than people's approval. It's more important than government's approval. It's more important than what the culture says. It's more important than what you hear and see on social media. It's more important than even the nearest and dearest people in your life. God's approval is more important than anyone else's approval in the universe. Are you gonna live for his approval? Or are you gonna to try to make other people happy? Because you can't do both. You really can't do both. And that's why who you choose as your, as your nearest and dearest friends and allies, they better be aligned with God. Or you're going to come into conflict over and over again with what they believe versus what you truly believe and what God's Word says. What we learn here from this verse is that the, this chapter is that there's only one gospel. There's not, there's not five gospels. There's not 20 different ways. There's not many roads to God. No, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says these exclusive statements in various places in the gospel. So you can't just like twist it around and look at the original language and go, well, it maybe means something else. No, 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 no. It's not what, no, he's not what he's saying. Because he, he makes it very clear in various passages. He says, I'm the way, I'm the door, I'm the gate. <laughs> you got to come through me. People, but I don't like that. Tough. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Read it for yourself. Here's what he says. There's only one good news. Paul says, I'm shocked, speaking to Galatia, that, that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those deliberately who twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God curse God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say it again, we have, we've said it before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one that you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And so Paul continues in verse 11. Talking about this message comes from Christ. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my own ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with these who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. 
Paul said, I got my calling from God. Jesus appeared to me. I didn't have to get some kind of secondary endorsement from some rabbi somewhere. I just needed to connect with God. That's why I went away to Arabia for a few years and just got my head straight and got my relationship with God together, began to grow up and like, if all the stuff about Jesus is true, what other assumptions did I have wrong? And he, he need a little time to grow up in his faith and his knowledge and his understanding of, of Christ and him being Messiah and the doctrine of justification by faith, which we'll talk about. This brings us to chapter two of Galatians. Decree number four. This is a big one. Imposing or enforcing your views is not Christ's way of grace. See, a lot of people want to trick you into becoming a Christian. If I could just get you to say this magic prayer, then you'll be bing, magically a Christian. <laughs> no one becomes a Christian by accident. Come on. We don't trick people into the kingdom. I don't argue into it intellectually. Oh, okay, I guess you won the argument. I guess I'll be a Christian now. That's not how it happens. People are converted in their heart. They have an experience with God through the Holy Spirit, through a revelation of his word, through the person of Jesus. They go, I don't understand it all. But man, I know what he's done already. And I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to spend my life serving this Jesus I don't ever fully understand completely. Come on, somebody. It's not intellectual, partly intellectual, but it's the whole person. Body, mind, soul, spirit, the total man, the total woman. We become converted completely to God. And so oftentimes, because we believe so strongly, we want to cajole, we want to manipulate, we want to try to convince, we want to try to force someone, we want to bully them into becoming a Christian. If I just back you into court and see that what you think is ridiculous, then you'll come to Jesus. I mean, that will not work. It's been tried. <laughs> so many times it's still being tried. Lots of people are shoving Bibles in people's faces. Lots of people are putting posts on social media trying to bully you into becoming a Christian. Well, that's not how it works. You're not going to trick someone into it. You're not going to enforce your views. The way of grace is the way of love. Our Savior is gentle. He says, hey, I'm offering you everything you've ever wanted. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. But the church is missing a lot of gentleness. Here's what Paul says about this in chapter 2 of Galatians. He says, for the, for the same God who worked through Peter as to the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he speaks about how many of the apostles were still holding on to their Judaism where Peter had this encounter with Cornelius. You remember we talked about this? Where he won the first Gentile convert in Caesarea. And Paul is doing all this work amongst Gentiles. And he says, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I was always eager to do. And he talks about this moment where they get into a, a dinner situation where he has to confront Peter on his hypocrisy. He said that at first Peter is eating, he's sitting down eating garlic and bacon with all these Gentiles, but as soon as these Orthodox Jews come in the room who are like the Judaizers, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't, they just, I gotta eat with these guys. Paul said, no, 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 no. Don't pretend that you're some kind of Orthodox Jewish Christian when you're sitting down eating garlic and bacon with the old Gentiles over here. <laughs> he confronts Peter about it. He says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are both Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles, quote unquote sinners, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And he continues here, verse 19, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. When I died to the law... I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if I keep, by keeping the law, I can make us right with God, then there would be no reason for Christ to die. See, a lot of people think, well, if you would just keep the rules, then God will really accept you. You'll never be able to do it. Be good enough. Never. What are you trusting in to save you? It's not, it can't be your good behavior. It can't be your perfect theology. It's only the grace of God. It's only be the goodness of Christ, the kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the only way. And if you're going to try to find some other way, you're not going to find it because he is the way. It's the grace, the goodness, the, the love of Jesus, the sacrifice on that cross that he made on our behalf. And a lot of Christians are like, okay, I'll receive Jesus. Now I've really got to prove to him how holy I am. No, no, if you started in grace, you're not going to continue in works. I said, if you started in grace, you're not going to continue in works. If you started in grace, you're going to continue in grace. And the only way you're going to keep living in Christ and staying in Christ is by grace, through faith. Not of yourself, not but through works. That's so confusing. And so do I could just do whatever I want? No, no, because Christ is in you. I don't want to do those things anymore. But those things that I do, the, the law keeping doesn't save me. It's the goodness of Christ that saves me. It's righteousness. And his character, his nature is imputed into me by the Spirit. And I want to do the things that he would want me to do. See, it's crazy. It's, abs it's absolutely crazy. We, we can't actually fully understand it. It's the mystery of grace. It blows up our mind. And it should blow yours. Because how many know I'm not good enough and you're not good enough to ever be good enough for God? But guess what? He declares you good enough. He says, because of my son, because he has declared you perfect, I don't find any fault in you. I see in you the righteousness of God in Christ. I declare you righteous. I decree you holy. Doesn't say that you're perfect. Doesn't say that you are holy. He decrees it. Therefore it is. Are you getting this? It's crazy, isn't it? Like when you really get your mind, to even just a couple fingers around grace, you're like, whoa, whoa, wow. Like forever? He loves me forever? He accepts me forever? <laughs> yeah, you're adopted. <laughs> you're in the family. He even loves his naughty kids. Can you believe it? He corrects his naughty kids, but he loves them. The final, where we're going to land it here, Galatians 3, the final decree is justification of faith. Justification by faith. You are justified by faith. It's just as if you had never sinned. He declares it. That's crazy. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. So Paul says this. He says, oh, you foolish Coloradoans. Wait, no, no. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen the picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Verse 5. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is, it is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. Verse 10 but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse of the pronouncement of the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who, bring, who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, 
God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And he begins, he just enumerates this, talks more about it, but let's skip to verse 21. He says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we'd be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Wow. Wow. Are you getting this? It's mind-blowing. It's heart-blowing. It's life-changing if you take it upon yourself. Like, I can't believe God is this good. I can't believe that he forgives me every time. I can't believe that his mercies last forever. That as long as I keep coming back, he keeps forgiving. As long as I keep asking for a drink, he keeps giving me what I need. Right? There's no failure in God. There's no end. As long as I say, God, I need you. I, I have to have you. I'm desperate for you. I'm your child. Fill me again today. Strengthen me again today. I need your forgiveness today. I need your spirit in me today. You begin to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for his word, a hunger and a thirst for his presence. It changes everything. It really does. It really does. And most Christians, goes right over their head. Some of you got it, though, I think, because I see the lights going on. I see it. Yeah, the Bible's mind-blowing, isn't it? Because it isn't just intellectual. It is intellectual, but it's beyond that. It's experiential. I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Spirit dwells inside of me. And I begin to feed on the word of God it gives me nourishment and when I'm broken he can heal me by his presence I come in, in his presence there's fullness of joy and it's right and joys forevermore we're going to finish with communion maybe this whole idea of the grace of God has been a mystery to you but you know Jesus described this covenant in communion at the Last Supper, at the communion table. He says, I'm, I'm about to make a new covenant, a new agreement with you in my blood. This agreement is good for all of you. And he says, this bread, it represents my body. Broken for you. Woo, breaking it. There we go. And he gave thanks to God for it. And he distributed it amongst the disciples. We're going to do that, of course, right here. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were broken so that we could be made whole. You took a beating that should have been ours because you've been broken. Lord, we can be restored. We thank you for your broken body. I'm going to take a piece. If you'll just break off a chunk and take a grape and pass the basket along and just wait for me as we, as we do this together. I like to look at Luke chapter 20. They have a Bible you can look there. I love how communion is so visceral. It's so um, experiential. Actually, Luke 22. He said, I've been very eager to eat the Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. 
And I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I'll not drink wine again till the kingdom of God has come. The bread, his body, broken on our behalf. The punishment that should have been ours, he took upon himself. The wine, the grape, the juice, represents his shed blood. A perfect sacrifice. God's perfect lamb of God, slain even before the foundations of the earth. A sacrifice, not like the Old Testament, that just covered sin, but a perfect sacrifice, God's ultimate lamb, whose blood shed, can not just cover our sin, but remove the stain of our guilt once for all time. That's amazing. That's amazing. The perfect blood of Jesus shed for you, shed for me, for all the sins I've ever committed, for all the evil I've ever done, for every sinful thought, for all the good I know to do, but I didn't do it. And not only that, all the stuff that I did today <laughs> and all the stuff I'm going to do tomorrow, even though I know I shouldn't do it and I might do it anyway and probably will, he will have died for those things too. What he desires from you and me is to live in relationship. And when we mess up, just like the Our Father says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That blood, that body, the perfect sacrifice of God. Verse 19, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. We receive it now for our wholeness, for our healing, for deliverance from every demonic stronghold, that we can live clear and free because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take that bread. What's amazing about the body is you can't have a resurrection without a death. When we get baptized, we go down into the water, dead to our old life and old ways of sin, resurrected to new life in Christ. And because he lives, we live also. Verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for your perfect blood that not only covers our sin but removes the stain of our guilt. That atoning blood which declares us holy and it proves your love for us. We receive it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, Salvation explained this way. 
the way you start this relationship, nothing magical about it. It's just a transaction where you say, God, I, I exchange my life for yours. I say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Would you pray the prayer of salvation for those who might be praying it online with us or in the room today? Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Be my savior. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand for the word of God and what he's done for us. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Yes, yes, yes. So good to have you, Dr. Calhoun and Steve. So glad that you were here with us today. It was so fun to pray over you. God, blessings on the new school year. And church, again, thank you for your donations and those backpacks. I believe that God is really opening some doors in relationships, especially here in Sedalia with some of the teachers. I met the art teacher, which was so fun. And she's going to let me come and do a unit on pastels from my Tilly the Tilapia book. So that's going to be kind of fun. And uh, we're, we're just building relationships. That's what the gospel does. It builds bridges with people. And the kindness of God leads people to, to repentance in a great place with Him. So I want to encourage you to, to give faithfully here to Summit Church. You can put it in the box in the back or support us online. Um, we are planning on the Alpha Course uh, launch on Thursday night, September 16th. And still praying about venue, whether we're going to do it here or Mayo Cafe or... I'm thinking about even the upper deck at the wide open saloon. How would it be great if we could do it over there? But we'll kind of see Biker Bar is a little crazy place to do Alpha Course. So we'll have to pray about that. But uh, uh, we're glad that you came today. Why don't you stand? I'll give you the blessing. We'll get out of here. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for communion today. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. Lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord, everybody. Glad you came today. Have a wonderful week. Have a great school year, educators and Johnny. You guys, have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs>